It's often easy to judge those who struggle to believe God is who the Bible says that he is. But if we were honest with ourselves, even the most seasoned believer has at time faced circumstances that even if for just a second made you wonder, um, Jesus, (laughs) are you there? False teaching can lead us astray. Yes, and so can bad theology. But no one's talking about how life itself can wear down your resolve and cause you to question if God is real. And if he is, why are these things happening? Do you remember Gideon who was threshing wheat in the wine press? If not, go listen to that episode. It's a good one. But he said to the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? Great question, Gideon. Great question. Let's talk about it tonight on Are You the One? Hey friend, I was talking to my son the other day about his children's church lesson. And as he was explaining to me the story of John the Baptist, specifically his time spent in prison, where he questioned if Jesus was who he said he was, I immediately thought of our time that you and I have been spending together in the book of Galatians. As you know, we've been talking about Paul's first letter to the early church, and in this case, particularly about his admonishment regarding false teaching. Paul opened up this letter to this early church, expressing his irritation that the Galatians had so easily turned away, as he called it, from all that they'd come to learn and accept to be true about Jesus and salvation. And it reminded me how many believers don't outwardly turn away, meaning we don't, you know, go on social media or declare to our family members that we're rejecting Christ or uh, disregarding our faith. Some do, most don't, but we can notice a shift within ourselves regarding how we view Christ, how we're relating to God. And over time, that shift can start to push us away from truth because we've come to think or believe something about him that is, in fact, not true. Now, false teaching does play a role in that. Granted, we've talked about how false teaching can be intentional with the goal of being divisive, with the goal of separating. But we've also talked about how that separation, that lack of understanding can be unintentional in that it's just coming from some bad teachers, some bad theology. And that bad teaching is normally rooted in churches and organizations prioritizing customs and tradition and preferences over truth. But I want you to consider that it's not just false teaching and it's not just bad theology that can cause us to question God in our faith. But sometimes it's our circumstances as well that can start to weaken our resolve. What do I mean? Sometimes when we have dealt with particularly tough circumstances or God has done something or is doing something or is allowing something to occur in our lives that we don't understand, a seed of distrust can be planted in our hearts that causes us to subconsciously deviate from truth. We see this in our current culture all the time. Everyone has a perception of who God is, even if that perception is an outright antithesis of what God himself says about himself in the Bible. 
And it can make us feel like we have control, like we are powerful and we are wise. If we proclaim somehow that we have this deeper insight than that which was given to us by God, we've had a greater revelation, right? We've been awoken. And it can lead to really a sense of ego and develop a self-centered spirituality that isn't rooted no pun intended, anywhere in the word of God. I want to give you an example from a TikTok that I watched the other night. It was an extremely handsome young man. And he was talking about how he, you know, had disengaged from the church and he no longer called himself a Christian. And he said, I want to be clear as an atheist, I do not believe in a Judeo-Christian God, the God of the Bible, right? But I do believe that there is a benevolent, loving life force in the universe that does care about us and does engage with us. And I do believe in an afterlife. What I don't believe in is Satan or demons or sin. And I thought, isn't that convenient? right? Isn't that convenient that you don't believe in any of the things that can negatively impact our faith in the way yours has in fact been impacted and you don't believe in sin? And I want us to think about this in the most basic form of human relationship. Think about a parent and a child. If that relationship has any modicum of health to it, Even the most basic parent knows that if you love your child, you impose boundaries and standards not to imprison or to somehow um, burden your child, but because you want to raise them in a way that they are equipped and prepared for life. And when we rob our children of boundaries and standards and rules, it leads to their lives being overwrought with chaos. So why is it that a most basic human being can understand that in a parenting relationship? And yet when it comes to our connection and relationship with God, we somehow think there's no way that the creator of the whole universe, who is righteous and perfect and knows all things, the end from the beginning, would dare to impose upon this fragile human creation that is known for self-destruction, a set of standards, boundaries, and rules to help that creation which he made live life well. Why are we so put off by the idea that God might actually expect something of us? And not only does he expect it, he equips us to perform it, to be it. He knows we can't do it on our own. And so he says, I have made provision for you in advance. Then not only can you understand what it is I'm asking of you, I'm telling you that it is not burdensome. And that I will give to you my Holy Spirit that will equip and prepare you to do the very thing I'm asking you to do. And I am not on an ego trip. Therefore, whether you do it or not does not inflate me or diminish me. I am God. (laughs) What it does do is help you to live a life that is abundant, that is purposeful, that is fulfilling, that shows other people that there is hope even when they're in the midst of pain and despair. Do you see what I'm saying? Right? We have somehow equated a lack of personal accountability and responsibility with freedom. And it is a lie. It is a trap. 
And so clearly convenience and a lack of willingness to accept personal responsibility for our actions can lead to this delusional and erroneous way of thinking. But sometimes, sometimes, friend, the shift is a little more subtle than that. There are times where we are grounded in truth. And as believers, we are sincerely doing our very best to live out what we truly believe God would have us to do. And then life does this thing called lifing. And the power and the peace that we've been promised just don't seem to equally be able to combat the pain and the disappointment and the heartbreak and the loss and the confusion that we're experiencing. And as a result, we can find ourselves seriously questioning, is God who he said that he is? Am I crazy for thinking I'm in relationship with someone when I'm not seeing any evidence of them in the midst of these very difficult circumstances? Can you go there with me? Yeah, that's real. That's a real feeling. And we're not alone. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Um, We're going to backtrack to that story my son was telling me about John the Baptist. So I'm going to read it to you now. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he went on from there to preach and to teach in their Galilean cities. Now, when John the Baptist in prison heard about the activities of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and asked him, meaning Jesus, Are you the expected one, the Messiah, or should we look for someone else who will be the promised one? Jesus answered, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed by healing and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed, joyful, favored by God is he who does not take offense at me, accepting me as the Messiah and trusting confidently in my message of salvation. John the Baptist himself, the very one who was sent to make a way for Jesus, to point people to Jesus, the one who could easily identify Jesus in a crowd, tell others what Jesus's purpose was. He himself questioned if Jesus was who he thought he was. Why? Because Jesus wasn't doing what John thought he should be doing. He wasn't fitting into John's idea of what a Messiah looked like. And again, this is someone who was knowledgeable about him, whose purpose was to point the way for him. But John's circumstances at that moment, locked in prison, knowing that his death was imminent, certainly did not reflect the favor of one who had been committed wholly to Christ. So what do we do with that? What do we do when life is affecting us in a way that doesn't to us feel like is reflective of the relationship, of the closeness, the intimacy that we have enjoyed with God? What about when God does not behave, when he won't fit in the neat little package that we put him in? Because remember, we told him what we wanted our life to look like, and we prayed, and we tithed, and we went to church. And so our expectation is that he is going to do what it is that we have envisioned that he's going to do. Although we don't say it like that. We just say we've been faithful and we've prayed and we've done our devotional daily. And I know Jesus to be a loving, benevolent life force. But 
Jesus has never behaved. If you have read your Bible, you know he does not fit in a nice, neat little package, that he does not present himself in a way that makes people comfortable or allows people to be complacent, that it is often in the jolting circumstances of life that we come to know him better. Does Jesus somehow get a thrill out of seeing you in pain, knowing that it will draw you to him? Absolutely not. You need to know his character. But does it mean that we won't experience pain, that we won't have some disappointment, some heartbreak, some confusing times just because we belong to God? Also, no. The difference is that we have a hope. We have an end game. We understand that this life isn't all that there is and that in the midst of it, that God will provide everything we need, even if it doesn't look like what we thought or what we wanted. John wanted action. He wanted those who were openly opposing the kingdom of God to pay. What Jesus was doing, teaching, discipling, and performing miracles was great. But it wasn't what John expected. And so that led John to question everything. But notice that Jesus did not condemn John for doubting. If you continue to read on in Matthew 11, which I hope that you do, you'll find that Jesus actually defends John by saying, look, there is no man born of a woman that is greater than John the Baptist. He is a prophet amongst prophets. At the same time, Jesus gently reminded John in the verses that we read that Jesus was doing everything that he'd come to do, that what he was doing was consistent with what had been prophesied about him, even if it didn't align with what John thought about him. So what John did, and no judgment because we do it too, is he unfortunately made assumptions about what God should or shouldn't do that were based on one of two things or both. One, his limited understanding, right? Remember scripture that says, you know, when God is speaking to us, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. And it seems so simple, but it's true. As close and intimate as we are with God, we do not have the capacity to embrace his power, his wisdom, his understanding, right? He can reveal things to us, but we're not equal. So we're not on the same level. And so our understanding of what God is doing is often limited, not as a punishment and not as a judgment upon us, but just because it's not our job to understand everything that God is doing. That's God's business, right? Our job is to respond to the things that he does reveal to us. The second thing that John may have done or may have experienced is that what he perceived to be God's inaction in his difficult circumstances being in prison um, was really God just not meeting his expectations. And again, that's something else that we can fall victim to. We think that God's not moving in our situation when in fact God's just not moving in the way that we're expecting, right? If I'm facing forward and I'm expecting God to come from the north and my eyes are focused completely on the north and he's working from the south, I would think God's failed me. He's not coming when all I would have to do is turn around and I would see him, right? That's how our perception can be limited. We're looking in one direction. We're expecting one thing. And so we can't see, we can't perceive all the other ways that God's actually working in our behalf, right? But I want you to know this, right? In the same way that Jesus reminded John that he was exactly what had been prophesied, we have to align our perception and understanding of Jesus with his word, not our thoughts, 
not our feelings and not our expectations. Jesus is exactly who we were to expect. He fulfilled prophecy perfectly. And he himself, without reservation, trepidation, or the need for qualification, said that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the Son of God. In this age of false and just outright bad teaching, we as believers, as those who desire to know truth, do have the often difficult job of discerning, along with the help of the Holy Spirit, what to believe and what not to believe. And with the constant barrage of information overload, it can feel overwhelming. But just know that that was never God's intention, that this would be burdensome for you. The truth is simple, so simple, in fact, that man often feels the need to add to it because that makes us feel more in control, more powerful, more wise. We like to have a means or a system by which we can measure who is worthy and who isn't. It is a selfish rendition of the relationship that God wants. It is egocentric versus God-centered, and it is a sham. At the end of the day, we are not going to be held accountable for what we heard or what others said, only for what we have believed. And what we believe will be demonstrated by what we do, right? In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, right? Who are people saying the son of man is? And they reply, and some say John the Baptist. Others say it's Elijah. And others, you know, Lord are saying that it's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Basically, the disciples are saying everybody has an opinion about who the son of man is. But Jesus then follows up with one of the most poignant questions in biblical history. And he asks them directly, but you, who do you say that I am? And friend, Jesus is posing that question to us today. Who do you say that Jesus is? And do you know that for fact? Could you defend that belief with scripture, with truth? Are you absolutely convinced that God is who he says that he is? And if you're not, if you're not there, are you at least committed to the process and the journey of experiencing him and coming to know him for yourself? If you are, then you're in the right place. Rooted is a safe space to learn God's word and to talk about the practical applications of the truths that we're learning. Rooted has and will always be God-centered and focused on growth. The word was actually meant to change us, believe it or not, to make us better, to be a life book that teaches us how to do life well. But we have to interpret it properly. We have to understand it. And then we have to consistently apply it to our lives. And we can get no further in our journey if we don't start with our foundation, if we don't know who Jesus is for ourselves. Friend, he is the center of everything else we read, learn, and apply. He is God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And that's on Mary Had a Little Lamb. I love you, friend. I've missed you so much. I'm Shania, and this is Rooted. Hey, friend, don't forget, if you find value, we would love if you would consider supporting Rooted the podcast. You can do that in several ways. First, consider a financial monthly donation. They are as little as 99 cents a month 
Any financial contribution helps us to consistently bring you relevant, relatable, practical content every single week. Second, please share the podcast on any of your social media platforms. Third, follow me on Instagram at Shania, that's S-H-I-N-I-A underscore Lambert, L-A-M-B-E-R-T. In the coming year, I have so many fun things planned for Rooted. Rooted is going to expand to video. We're going to have a YouTube channel. We're going to provide bonus content for Patreon members. And we may even hop on TikTok. We'll see. I love you, friends.